Open up your Bibles to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. And I'll pray and then we'll read that scripture and uh, then we'll dig in. Father, just thank you for today. Open everyone's ears and eyes to your truth. May we act on what is clear from your scriptures. Amen. Please stand with me and we will read uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 14. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I, ha- I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, And not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if this readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that, they may, that there may be equality. You may be seated. And we'll get to chapter 8 in the third point. But um, giving God's way. I think he makes it very clear in Scripture how he wants to approach this. A church gave away its building fund and received an even bigger blessing. This church was Vaca Valley Christian Life Center in Vacaville, California. They raised 120000 toward a multi-million dollar sanctuary. When Pastor David Crone heard about the L.A. International Dream Center, the center bought the former Queen of Angels Hospital in Los Angeles and was refurbishing nine buildings for its ministry. Crone said he felt God wanted the money to go toward the Dream Center and not his church. He received the approval from his congregation in 1997 and they presented the check to those ministers. So with that in mind, they gave that away. Do you think they ever built their building? 
the money started pouring in for that building project from, you know, unexpected sources. That Easter, Crone and his congregation dedicated a new $1 million debt-free facility. Now, that's not something God's going to ask every church to do, to give away a building fund. But it certainly, God certainly wants us to be missions-minded. When I get to Sierra Vista Bible Church in Albuquerque and, and then Silver Sage Bible Church in uh, Nevada, both those churches were giving 2% of their income to missions. And that wasn't good. And so by the time we left, it was up to 10%. When I went to Community Bible Church in Wisconsin, they already were given 20% to, to missions. And, and we kept it that way in those 19 years. And here it's about 10%, and that's certainly respectable. So the first question I would ask you, do you hold on to your money with a closed fist? Like, God, you're going to have to pry this out of my hands. Or with an open palm. Whatever I have is yours, you just... Let me know what you want me to do with it. I mean, whose money is it anyway, right? And I think, you know, from what was read, what Dave read in First Chronicles chapter 29, it's, it's God's money. And what, a, what a, a, a privilege it is to give towards kingdom work. According to one survey, the average Christian gives 2.5% of their income and many give nothing. Seventy percent give less than three hundred a year. And if you're giving nothing or less than three hundred a year, the question is, do you really understand that you're a steward of what God has given you? Now, Faith Bible Church apparently understands that for a small congregation to be able to meet our budget of about one hundred ninety thousand. That's pretty good. But it's good by way of reminder what God expects of his saints in this area. And we want to give like saints, not ain'ts. What you give is between you and the Lord. It's nobody's business but the one who makes out the financial statements. Maybe the person who counts. But make sure you understand this is a spiritual issue. What you give matters to God. It's a part of your sanctification. It's a part of your Christian maturity. What you give says volumes about how much you love God, how much you understand His Word, how much you care about the mission of the church. Giving God's way. Number one, roadblocks to giving. In 1997, during construction of a new $6 million children's zoo in New York City, in in Central Park, the administration received some bad news. A couple that was going to give half of what was needed backed out. Why did they back out? A plaque acknowledging their gift was going to be smaller than the one who 36 years before gave 500000 The million-dollar couple wanted the names of the original donors who gave that 500000 to be removed and their plaque to replace that. The world doesn't mind giving money to a cause if it can get recognition. If they can get something back. Not so when we give to God. Those who want rewards in heaven should seek no plaques on earth. This is what 
Christ said in Matthew 6, 1 through 14, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have your reward from For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to... But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be seen, and your Father in in heaven who sees in secret will reward you. So where do you want to collect your reward? Do you want your best life to be now? I don't think so. I listened to Joel Stein a little bit this morning, and just, Wow. Not good. If you want, if you want it now, um, if you want it now in full, you're not going to receive it in eternity. Christ said in chapter six of Matthew 19 through 21, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So where's your heart? If you love money and things, your heart is not focused on heaven. The rich young ruler was religious but lost because of money. So some roadblocks to giving God's way. Number one is the love of money. Timothy talks about that. We'll look at that in a little bit. And maybe you're lost. You don't hear God's voice telling you how to give because you're not even in the Word. Number three, recognition. You give only when it benefits you somehow other than spiritually. So where is your heart? How, do you, how you hold on to your money is an indication of where you are spiritually. Do you actually belong to God? Or, or are you just immature? Do you see your finances as an opportunity to serve God and to serve others or just yourself? If you give 3% um, or less than 300 a year, you don't see it as an opportunity to serve God. We pass the offering plate. Um, that's not to pressure anybody into giving. It's just a reminder that it's a part of our worship. It's both a privilege and an obligation. And it is an act of worship. It's an indication you understand God's worth. You understand how important the mission of the church is. So another roadblock to to giving God's way is greed. Right? 1 Timothy 6 says the love of money is the root of all types of evil. When you always want more, giving gets in the way. What happened to Gehazi and Second Kings? What, what did he receive for his greed? Leprosy. Psalm 10.3 For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Greed, not contentment, rules your heart. 
Greed is loving what Christ died to free you from. Contentment is the result of walking in the Spirit where you have a genuine, thankful heart. Many of you know I'm a Steelers fan. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Grew up in western Pennsylvania. And the last three games the Steelers won using their thir- what he was formerly their third-string quarterback. And Mason Rudolph is a strong believer. And he was asked after the game, you know, those three years you sat the bench, are you resentful for all that? And he said, no, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. You know, because of God, I'm thankful. That's what he wants us to be. Greed restricts the amount you can give God, but it doesn't restrict what you can give yourself. We buy things we don't need with the money we don't have. And so debt is a stumbling block to give in. Maxing out credit cards, you know, having to have a brand new car, boats, all those things. You can have those things as long as you don't rob God. Malachi 3.8 Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Proverbs 23. Riches fly away. Proverbs 12.12. Greed causes strife. Strife in your own heart. Fighting Christ for first place. Are you content? Are you content? Are you thankful for God, how God has provided? And you're not preoccupied with money. One test to where your heart is, is what are your conversations about? Are you always envious of those who have more? Do you say, you know, I'd really be happy if I had that guy's life. How do you spend your money? In 2 Corinthians 8, which we'll get to in a few minutes, he, will, he says he will supply what we need to participate in every good deed. Not to, he doesn't supply what we want to, to get all the things, you know, all, all our wants, all our dreams, but what we need. Don't say, you know, I'm going to give when I, when I have more. God has equipped you to give from your resources right now. So the roadblocks, some of the roadblocks to to giving God's way is sin. Not giving to God in a way he would want you to give is sin. Greed, selfishness, debt, expecting something in return other than spiritual blessings. We all know the name it, claim it, um... Prosperity gospel's heresy. Christ didn't die so we wouldn't be poor. He died so we wouldn't be poor spiritually. He freed us from the curse of sin. God never promised to make us rich, but to give us what we need. And we are to be content if we have a roof over our heads and food in our belly. Pray that God will help you get rid of of the roadblocks to giving. Now let's talk about, for a minute, let's talk about Old Testament giving. Should people today tithe 10% because they tithed in the Old Testament? A tithe, 
there was a tithe in Leviticus 27. It was for the support of the Levites. In Deuteronomy 12, there was a festival tithe. So right now, we're, if you want to give like the Old Testament, you're given 20%. But there was a third tithe every three years to the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless. And MacArthur says, no, okay, right now we're up to 23%. Nehemiah 10, there's a third of a shekel shekel temple tax to buy materials for the temple offerings. And on top of the 23 plus percent, there was a Sabbath rest for the land every seven years where you set aside debts. And on top of this, there were free will offerings. As we see in 1 Chronicles 29, giving to God properly begins with worship. You recognize His worth and you give appropriately. On your wife's birthday, you go all out to show your love and appreciation. You you knock yourself out to give your child a birthday that they'll never forget. How much more thought and sacrifice should go into what we give God. As we, show, as we show, we understand His greatness and His work in our lives. And again, in First Chronicles 29, what we give comes from God. He gets the glory. We can only give Him a part of what He has first given us. He even gets credit for our generosity. It's by His grace we are motivated to give. The Old Testament gives us principles to live by, for sure. And number one, it's not tithing. That would be about 25%, and if that's what you feel like you want to give, we're not going to stop you. But number two, you give with a thankful heart. Number three, you recognize all belongs to God. And number four, you give your best. You give the first fruits. I've said before when I was in seminary, um, and I didn't have much money, but I'd go to church and I would give spare change. If I had a five in my wallet, I'd give a five. A ten maybe, maybe on a real special occasion I'd give a twenty. But that's, that's all. But then when I graduated seminary, moved to Spring, Texas, and uh, I was making 25000 a year then in 1987. And I thought I was rich. Uh, you know, the, uh, the apartment was three fifty a month. Gas was under a dollar. And so I wrote out a check, you know, for the first time to give to the church. And I thought, well, you know, that it's more than I ever gave before. But I could not go to sleep that night until I got up and tore that up and wrote what I believed God was putting on my heart to give. You need to give from your first fruits. You don't wait till the end of the month and see, well, if there's something left over, then I'll give. We're generous with ourselves. We're generous with those that we can impress. But are we generous with God? The New Testament is also instructive, but it does not teach tithing. The New Testament giving, number three. Um, the New Testament teaches sacrificial giving. It's only mentioned, tithing is only mentioned in a positive light with Melchizedek. 
The other times it's associated with the Pharisees and hypocrisy. As we consider what to give God, is it sacrificial? David said, I will not give God what costs me nothing. And that's between you and God. It's between you and your wife. You sit down and pray and you discuss what God would, would have you give. Uh, you give proportionately. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So regular giving as he may prosper. I mean, the amount is in proportion to what you make. If you were making 70000 a year and you believe God was putting it on your heart to give 10%, you'd be giving 583 a month to the Lord. But the, but the issue is not, is not 10%, it's sacrificial. But, and for most people, 10% is, is sacrificial. For others, more or less. And that night in Spring, Texas, when I tore up the check, um, my conscience wouldn't let me sleep until I changed that amount. Based on New Testament, on the New Testament, giving to God is sacrificial. And, and the example we often use is the woman with the two coins. In Mark 12, 41 through 44, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to live on. So that Old Testament giving of 25% was actually a national tax, a, a national tax that does not apply to us. Some say, you know, I pay so much in taxes, I can't afford to give anything to God. But what did Christ say in, in Matthew 22? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So the New Testament teaches sacrificial giving. Um, and then somebody might say, well, great, then I, you know, I don't have to tithe. I'll give 2.5% like most Christians. No. Sacrifice, sacrificial giving may mean more than 10%, or, um, but not 2.5%. If so, you've put other things above your giving. Well, again, we're not telling you what to give. We're not telling you what to give. Just be sure you give in proportion to your salary. You pray, you discuss it with your wife, and if your salary increases, your giving increases. And you may have to cut out things out of your budget to give God's way. So, look with me in... in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They excelled in their giving, even in their poverty. They were content with very little, but they were still eager to to give. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their, their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They couldn't afford to give like that, but yet they gave beyond their ability. It's not a question of giving a certain amount. The question is, how much do you love God and His Word and the mission of the church? We sacrifice for our kids. I mean, we, we do without so they can have piano lessons or whatever, or go to college. How much are we willing to sacrifice to show our love for God? They gave of their own accord. They were not pressured. And, of course, we're not pressuring you. I don't think this is the first sermon on giving in I don't know how long. Uh, I don't think you did it while I've been here. And, um, and you know, um, this is a great giving church. I mean, you guys are very generous. In Albuquerque, the plate was in the back when I got there. That was my first senior pastor. And then... Um, and they say, hey, we don't want to pressure anybody. I'm like, no, you know, okay. And, uh, but then someone in our church who had graduated from Talbot Seminary and had been a part of Grace Community Church, he said, if we don't pass the plate, how are we to demonstrate it is an act of worship? So we went back to passing the plate. Verse 4. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Begging. Now, maybe... Paul feared that their participation looked like he really wasn't concerned with his poverty. He was only worried about getting a big offering. But there has to be a balance. It's important to give, and it's important to give the right way, in secrecy, with joy, sacrificially. And your name won't be on any building when you give, but it will be written in the book of life. And that has to be enough that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 5. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. True New Testament giving starts with giving yourself, saying, Lord, all I, all I am is yours. My time, my gifts, my children, my money. They're yours. Six and seven. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. You abound in love and faith and purity. Abound in this special offering for the poor and the persecuted in in Jerusalem. Verse 8. I'm not speaking 
this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. I don't have to command you to do this because I know you do it out of love. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. To make us spiritually rich, Christ became poor. And when your God becoming a man is abject poverty. When you reside in the throne room of the Most High, earth is the ghetto. He died to make us rich spiritually. He sacrificed the glory He had with the Father to give us life. And we are to sacrifice to support the Lord's work in the local church and the mission field. He left, stuff, he left us an example that we should walk in His steps. It's a selfless lifestyle. Serving others, being more interested in the welfare of others than you are in your own. Verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is your advantage. This is to your advantage. Who were in the first to begin a year who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. It's to your advantage to obey God. You will reap what you sow. Not money necessarily, but spiritual blessings. Answered prayer, the joy you get from that, the peace you get from that. Having a good conscience. Verses 11 and 12. But now finish doing it also so that just as there was ready, the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. If you're willing, you have the resources available to participate. If you have a lot, give a lot. If you have a little, give what God leads you to give. There's no percentage prescribed in the New Testament. Again, you just have to wrestle with God and in prayer. And He'll show you. He'll show you. 13 and 14. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. God's not trying to put you out on the street. Verse 10, it is your... Oh, I'm sorry. That's not where we are. Those who have more than they need can help those who have little. In, ver, in chapter 9, verse 6, your faithfulness will not go unrewarded. Chapter 9, verse 7... Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. You say, you know, boy, I could have bought a Porsche with the 800 bucks I give a month, you know, to the church. Don McCullough, who was president of the San Francisco Seminary, told this story. Scottish Presbyterians established churches in Ghana over a hundred years ago. 
And today their worship service still resembles a formal, formal Scottish Presbyterian service. But recently, however, they have allowed traditional African expressions into their worship service. Now people dance as they bring their offerings forward. The music plays and each individual joyfully dances down the aisle to the offering plate, smiling from ear to ear. I don't think we want Jacob and Joe Sr. next week when we do the offering to dance. Or maybe we do. You know, we we can vote on that. But we should be cheerful givers. We all should be smiling from ear to ear when, when we give from our hearts to the Lord who became poor so that we could become rich. The late Dr. James Kennedy told of a peasant woman with, um, in West Africa who got saved and then uh, she wanted to do something for Jesus. People were bringing gifts of corn to an evangelistic crusade, but this woman had nothing to give. Yet later in the week, she went forward and she placed a coin on the altar. Although it was only worth a dollar at that time, it represented a large sum in that economy. Thinking that she might have gotten it dishonestly, the missionary was hesitant to take it, but he didn't want to cause a problem, so he didn't say anything. But after the service, he followed her and and asked her about the money. She said that because Christ had freed her from the bondage of sin, she was thrilled that she had eternal life and she wanted to serve him and, and help make him known to others. So she had gone to a nearby plantation and sold herself as a slave for life for one dollar. That was the gift she laid down on the altar that night, like the woman with the two copper coins. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 4, they gave out of their deep poverty, abundantly, you know, abundantly begging to participate. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Christ became poor so we might become rich. And you might think, you know, that woman who sold herself into slavery was foolish. But one thing you can't say is that she didn't love God. She sold herself into slavery because she wanted to do something for Christ and to make him known. So we're probably not going to ever have to give away a building fund or sell ourselves into slavery to be able to give to God. But whatever God asks us to do, we better be prepared to do. He is worthy of our best. What do we learn today? What we have is a loan from God. God owns everything we possess. I mean, it's like a bank. We make a deposit, and when we want to withdraw the funds, they're obligated to give those to us. When God wants to withdraw some of his resources from us, we don't have the right to refuse. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart to do a certain thing, whether it's share Christ or teach a class... Help Dave with a project around the church, give to the church or or missionaries. We need to obey. He has given you the resources to contribute to kingdom work. First Timothy 
again, talks about the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and many who pursue it fall away from the faith. But money is good. Money's not evil. Greed is evil. Loving it is evil. The Bible often contrasts money and faith. You can't serve both God and money. It tells us don't, don't count on the uncertainty of riches. How you handle money, what you give to further the kingdom is a good indication of where you are in your relationship with God. Money can be a roadblock to spiritual maturity. Number one, realize that it's a loan from God. Number two, the first priority is to, to serve God. Secondly, would be to meet needs in your life. And third, for your wants. How do we apply it? Money won't be a problem if you acknowledge who it belongs to. If you are wise with its use and follow biblical principles and, and hold on to it with an open hand. Giving to God is sacrificial. And from experience, I can tell you that you won't have a clear conscience until you give what he wants you to give. He died so that we might be rich spiritually. And in response, we need to worship Him. Um, first, we, we give Him our lives. We give Him our lives, our time, our gifts, our money. That's what the Christian life is all about. Let's pray. Father, you've blessed us here in America. And, um, and we need to be thankful. We need to be content. And, and we need to hold on to our money loosely. Where you're concerned. Where, where giving to the kingdom is concerned. Thank you for what you've done for us. And in return, we worship you. And part of that worship is how we give. And I pray, Father, that you'd put it on our hearts to do exactly that. And thank you, Father, that how blessed we are then when we, when we can do that with a cheerful heart. Again, you get the glory for that. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.